So never stop learning. It's a way to make sure that you're current with everything in your business, but also personally, it keeps you from falling behind. Yeah, I've seen a lot of really good leaders that once they hit their stride and once they have what their version of success is, they kind of take their foot off the gas pedal. And what happens is they get left behind. But- the oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by CBRE. CBRE is the global leader in real estate operations, providing solutions to the world's largest energy oil and gas companies. CBRE supports their clients' facilities both upstream and downstream without compromising safety by delivering strategies that optimize operations, reduce costs, and risk. Unlock the power of your energy, oil, and gas portfolio with CBRE. You can learn more at at www.cbre.com forward slash EOG. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments to leave a review in iTunes. I love reading that on the air, and I really like your feedback. Also, if you're interested in getting your hands on some OGGN laptop hard hat stickers, check out the show notes for a 10-second survey, and we'll get those shipped to you. All right. Well, I have the pleasure today to be sitting with Mark LaCour, Director of Modal Point and Editor-in-Chief of Oil & Gas Global Network. What's up, Mark? So what's up is it's an honor to be on your show, back on your show, and it's weird to be on the other side of the microphone. Right, right. Uh, and you were my actual very first guest. Wow, wow. That was, what, five years ago? I have no idea. It seems like it was quite a while ago, but I do remember that was our first growth spurt, right? I was the third podcaster yep. to come on yep. and the first woman yep. with an oil and gas podcast in the world. In the world. We had sponsors fighting over your show. <laughs> and I could have used that to jack the price, but I chose not to. And we announced and launched a show live from the Caterpillar booth. Big shout out to them at OTC, and you were nervous as hell. Well, yeah, and you didn't tell me what was happening until like five minutes before because you knew I was going to probably vomit. Or you wouldn't have even shown up. No, I wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. No, I had to call like friends and be like, y'all need to be over here so I can look at you and attempt to do this. And Paige, you've come so far. I actually listened to your latest interview with the inflow control guy. Oh, with a, yeah, with Brent? Brent yesterday. And it was just such a fantastic interview. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. That was <laughs> that was fun because we had a lot of technical difficulties because he was overseas. So yeah, just, yeah. So thank you for even thinking of me for doing this show. But anyway, if you haven't listened to my very first episode, I really wouldn't recommend it because it's not (laughs) a very quality. But Mark, let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Ooh, so 26, 27 years ago Ooh, we're getting up to that? Yeah. Getting up to 30. Yeah. I just needed a job. And I was tired of traveling around the world. And I wanted to like be home each night and have like a more steady nine to five job. And I happened to know some people at the local phone company on the east side of the country, which was Bell South. And I told us, I'm, I'm looking for a job. And they go, Mark, we have the perfect job for you. 
but it's had declining revenue for over 30 years. And I go, I'll take it. I had no idea what it was. I just knew that I wanted a job at the phone company because back then, this is in late 80s, working for the phone company was high pay, security, you know, all that sort of stuff. And what it was was their book of oil and gas business. So every oil and gas company between Louisiana and Florida up to Virginia have made like this big circle on the map instantly was mine. And I knew zero about the oil and gas industry. What I learned very quickly is the reason no other person that worked at Bell South wanted that book of business because it was hard to do business with these companies. It was hard to do business with Slumberger or Halliburton or Exxon or Chevron, right? But I'm up for a challenge, right? And so I just literally was honest and transparent. And I went to all my customers and I go, look, I'm your new Bell South rep. I know zero about the oil and gas industry. I don't know a whole lot about telecom yet, but I plan to. But I will promise you this. I will never lie, cheat, or steal. I will always have your interest in my best heart. Will you help me learn about this industry? And Paige, they just opened up. I'm not going to name companies, but the very first time I ever went offshore was with a big service company. And I told the Gulf Coast operations manager, like, hey, I've never been offshore. And he goes, meet me at the heliport on Wednesday. No Hewitt training. <laughs> you couldn't no do that No background today. check. Yeah. But because I was with them, I got to go offshore. And I was out there for two days. Got to bunk with the crew. Got toured around. This is a mud pump. This is a moon pool. These are the gen sets. And same way with the refinery. There's a you know major refinery in, in Mississippi. And I went to the refinery manager. And I said, I don't know anything about refining. And he literally had overalls on. And this is a refinery manager. He had a cigar in his mouth. And he goes, boy. <laughs> but he meant that as a compliment. Right. Boy, go get in my truck. And he drove me around the refinery for four hours and pointed out, this is a cracker. This is a steam generator. That's right? so cool. Yeah. And so I got to learn because the whole industry. And the other thing that was really cool, since I didn't know the industry and I was given all of these clients, I got to see – how everything worked. Oh, these guys get it out the ground and these guys move it and these guys turn it to stuff you can sell. And then these companies do all the work that nobody else wants to do. And so I was very lucky and very blessed to come into industry at a time where you could still do the go offshore without the proper certification of background checks. I know that's horrible and it doesn't happen now and it shouldn't happen anymore. I worked with some of the best good old boys in the industry and they took me under their wing and they treated me like I was one of their own. And it was just a beautiful thing. And then Hurricane Katrina happened. Mm -hmm. When Hurricane Katrina happened, you may not know this, but you can't run a refinery or a pipeline without connectivity. And I was the only game in town in the hurricane affected area. All the other telecom providers were dead in the water and we were not. So I did a lot of stuff that broke company policy. I did some stuff that broke FCC laws, but I took care of my clients like I promised. So I got the refineries back up and operating. I got the pipelines back up and operating. I literally pulled people out of retirement and did a microwave shot from the top of our CO on Poydras Street in New Orleans was flooded with water by then into the Exxon Shell Met refinery, which number one, I had no authority to pull people out of retirement, <laughs> much less have them spend the money, do a microwave shot. And then I broke some FCC laws and I took that connectivity and I connected to some AT&T fiber, which broke AC, AT, FCC laws and brought it back to Houston so that refinery could start talking and start producing product. The problem during that time is there was no fuel being produced. And for the first time ever, all the refineries were offline, including the refinery in Baton Rouge, which was relatively north for hurricane damage. And so- I won Vendor of the Year Award with several of my clients because of that. When New Orleans flooded, I was in a super major helicopter. The day it flooded, looking around, I had teams of people that were taken hostage. You don't hear about this in the news. Yeah. And I had 
some of the big service companies pull some strings and I had fully armored guards protecting my people in the field, getting communications back up. And so that was a real turning point for me. To this day, I still have great relationships with the large oil and gas companies, with the super majors, the service companies, the pipeline companies, because of what I did during Katrina. What did your CEO say about all that? Well, so I never made it to the CEO. I did make it to the CEO. I got called back to Atlanta and I got called into our CEO's office. And do you remember the old dot matrix printers, the green and white? Yeah. The, okay. So he had a dot matrix sheet that literally went down to his floor. He was about my age. I am now wearing glasses like I am. And I sit down and he says not a word to me. He's going through his doc matrix printout with a red pen. And he goes, broke company policy, broke company policy, broke FCC law, broke state law, broke company policy. And at first I thought he was teasing me. Then I thought I was going to lose my job. And he went through that whole list. And then I thought I was going to jail. Yeah. And when he was finished that list, which took about a half hour, he goes, Mark, he goes, I'm damn proud of you. He goes, if this was any other time than a natural disaster, you'd be out of here so quick. He goes, but you did the right thing for your customers and the right things for Bell South. And the funny thing is, I think my quota that year was $7 million. I did like $49 million. <laughs> <laughs> and so I paid everybody's number. But that was how I got started in the industry. And it was, I can't think of a better way to be introduced to the oil and gas industry than to meet the good old boys that ran this industry back in the late 80s and early 90s and have them take you under their wing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm kind of jealous, not going to lie. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about what you do now. I talk for a living. I know, isn't that weird? It really is weird. So about 15 years ago, I started Modal Point out of anger because my last corporate job had capped my commission. And a couple of years into that, my marketing guy, James Hahn, gave me a shout out right here, came up with the idea that we need to do a podcast to promote Modal Point. And I thought it was a stupid idea because this was nine years ago, 10 years ago, and nobody listened to podcasts back then. And there was a technology challenge, right? There was no app to listen to a podcast. You had to understand how to download an MP3 file. The term podcast came from Apple's product, iPod, and they opened up a new genre of communication besides music. And it really wasn't doing that well. Yeah. iPods were predominantly used for people to listen to music while they worked out and they traveled, right? Not so much for the actual podcast. And so he kept on and kept on and kept on and he wore me down like a child. And eventually I said, yes, so he'd <laughs> shut up and go away. And what I didn't know at the time is we started the first oil and gas podcast in the world. Yeah. Three or four months into it, Red Wing Boots, shout out to Red Wing, called us and said, hey, we want to sponsor your podcast. And I almost said, why? But the old sales guy me kicked in and said, shut up, let them talk. And that was the beginning of this empire that you and I both sit upon now yes. was that. So Modal Point's still around. Modal Point is our market research company focused on the oil and gas industry. Modal Point helps companies sell their product to the industry. But OGGN has far passed Modal Point as far as revenue and size and was totally unexpected, totally unplanned. And like I said, in the beginning, I thought it was a stupid idea to start a podcast. Now you get paid to speak. Now I get paid it's to speak. It's weird. Yeah. yeah, so bizarre. Well, let's talk about leadership since that's the name of the freaking show, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, what is leadership to you? Leadership is, imagine a bunch of people in a boat and you're going somewhere to do something, mm -hmm. right? Leadership is the person that is making sure that you're pointed in the right direction and that the people that are there have what they need to get you there, right? So not the captain, right? The captain's a manager, right? Yeah. Leadership is making sure that the path is clear, that there's any storms, you either go around them or understand how to go through them and having the other functional units on that ship have what they need to accomplish their jobs. So once again, you're not the captain, you're not the engineer, you're not the first mate. You literally 
are the person setting the direction for the ship, for the vessel. That's very, very good point of view. I've never even thought about it that way. I like that. So do you have an, have an example of difficult experience you've had as a leader? Who The hardest thing I struggle with is letting people go. I personally, emotionally have a stake in each and every person that we bring on board. And I've made hiring decisions that were bad, that were my fault. And I have to let those people go. And it bothers me because I start thinking about this person has kids, bills, responsibilities, right? And I am eliminating their income. And even to this day, that bothers me. Now, what I've learned is, once once again, back to the ship analogy, what I've learned is, Instead of having me make all the hiring decisions, in which case I sometimes make bad decisions, I have people on the ship that also help me make hiring decisions. I'm sitting right across from one right now. Yeah. <laughs> so when we hire people now, it's myself, you, and Michael O'Sullivan who make that decision. That has greatly increased us not making bad hiring decisions. But that has always bothered me. The other thing that I've struggled with OGGN is when we have financial difficulties, once mm-hmm. again, because I worry about my people. But I think for me personally – Having to let somebody go has always been the hardest thing I've done. And learning that I am not the best chooser of talent and, and that I need to rely on others, that's an ego trip. And you, and you have to be able to let that go as well. Yeah. I've actually seen you give awful people second chances. Yeah. So, and that hurts everybody. It hurts the rest of the company, right? So, that's still a, a developmental area for me that I'm still working on. And my solution is to have other people help me make those decisions. Good deal. What's the most rewarding part? About leadership. I'm sitting across from right now. (laughs) (laughs) To watch our people grow and blossom and stand in their own. To see people that I can see the talent. I can see the spark in them, but they can't see it themselves. Right? And then I guide them. Sometimes by helping them. Sometimes by pushing them. Yeah. But I guide them toward that. And then they blossom and they mature and they're in their own and they're just wonderful. And if you look at all of our different hosts, they all are on that journey. There's different parts of that journey. Yeah, That's my favorite thing is is watching our people perform. Also, in sort of a non-ego way, the exposure and the notoriety that OGGN has is a credit to the entire team. I can go almost anywhere in the world and people know who we are. Yeah, but you're Mark LaCour, so. But it's not me. The team did that, right? That's a wonderful thing, too, to know that so many people in the world know who our company is. We have that name recognition, and that name recognition is always attached to positive and uplifting emotions, not negative emotions. I love that. Yeah, yeah. If you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be? It's the same piece of advice I've given a lot. I do it personally is never stop learning. Never. Actually, that's what you said in the first one. Yeah, I have time blocked out in my calendar to learn, not just about this industry. I'm learning about chat GPT right now, right? I'm learning about crystal methyl hydrate in the, the South China Sea's floors, right? So I'm learning about things that aren't necessarily attached to the business of OGG and modal point, but it's new stuff. I mean, you know me personally. What's my favorite thing to watch on TV? It's something to learn about other Usually things. Usually a documentary. Yeah, yeah. So never stop learning. It's a way to make sure that... You're current with everything in your business, but also personally, it keeps you from falling behind. Yeah, I've seen a lot of really good leaders that once they hit their stride and once they have what their version of success is, they kind of take their foot off the gas pedal. And what happens is they get left behind, but they well, don't especially know it. in this industry yeah. because there, I mean, it's constant changing, yeah. constant. There's always something new to learn about. Yeah, always. So, yeah, good to see that you kept your same answer from last time. <laughs> 
I'm going to have to go back and listen to see if it is the same answer, but I'm pretty sure it is. No, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure. I don't know how I remember that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So what book has influenced you the most? Ooh, that's a really good question. The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, Stephen Covey, influenced me from a tactical point of view. I actually got to meet him in person. His Principle-Centered Leadership book is one I still reference and I still use as far as trying to lead the company. Another book, From Good to Great, to see what what is the small difference between companies that do okay and ones that kill it, right? So those three books have probably influenced me the most. I've heard a lot of your guests talk about the Bible in some sort of strange way. I've read the Christian Bible numerous times, but I've also read the Quran, and I've also read the Torah. And so I believe there's a higher calling for all of us. And the interesting thing about reading those three books is that those are the three religions that have a lot of conflict, Christians, Jews, and Muslims. But they all kind of believe the same thing. They all believe the same thing, right? It's interesting. It reinforces my belief that there's a higher power since all these three books with religions that are different places on the maturity curve all basically believe the same thing. But I'm not going to say that's what's influenced me the most. It's really the leadership books that I've mentioned that's probably influenced me the most. Yeah, sometimes whenever people have said that, I'm not going to specifically say one person, but it's kind of a it's a facade. It's a political answer. Yeah, That's how I feel about that. But not in all instances. Yeah. Not in all instances. What's your most used business tool? I mean, I see you use a lot of things. Yeah, that's a good question. Most used business tool, it would probably be my smartphone. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, let me back up. So I'm not going to say I have a specific tool. I have a very specific ecosystem. I would say it's the Apple ecosystem. So the combination of my Apple desktop, laptop, iPad, and smartphone, and watch, together they work seamlessly. I love the fact that I can start a conversation with you on my desktop, finish that conversation on my watch while I'm in my car. It's such a time saver. Same way with me tracking tasks. I do all that in actual the task manager in Apple, but since it's shared across all my devices, I'm not chained to one device. I always have access to that I need, whether I'm in the office or not. So I think the Apple ecosystem, and, and no shade against Microsoft, Windows 10 is phenomenal. Microsoft's come a very long way, but when I started Modal Point, <laughs> I was a Windows user. I was a Windows yeah. and BlackBerry user. And Windows had just released their operating system, Vista, which is the most buggy <laughs> operating system that they've ever released. I walked into the Apple store and they showed me an Apple laptop and I told them that I needed to run Office because that was the tool that all the guys use. And they go, there's no problem. We can run Office on a Mac. And they showed it to me. And it's like, wow, Office looks beautiful on a Mac. At that time on a Windows computer, it was just kind of plain and Jane. So I went from being a Windows BlackBerry user to a Mac user, probably one of the best business decisions ever made. And I'll give Microsoft full street cred. They've caught up and in some ways passed up Apple and certain things. But since that's where I started, that's where I've stayed. And I just love the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, you turned me onto it because I didn't have much of a choice. So there's that. So I don't know if this is uh, applicable necessarily, but who is your most respected competitor? Most respected competitor? I would say companies like Amazon, Netflix, the companies that are aggregating content, they're creating unique content themselves. Mm-hmm. Those are the companies that we're chasing. And by the way, Amazon, Netflix, I'm going to catch you. Just give me time, <laughs> I'm going to catch you. They do a really good job of understanding what their audiences want down to the age groups, right? They produce content for very specific age groups. And then they produce that content themselves so that they 
own and they can control the content and they're not sharing the revenue. There's no revenue split with anybody. And then they push that content out there and their audiences consume it. And so these companies make money, which allows them to continue to produce content their audiences want. That's who I think our biggest competitor is, is those companies. You know, we smile when I say I'm chasing Amazon and Netflix and I am. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. We've had several companies of that caliber have reached out to us and started discussions about possible business together. So we're not there yet, but we will be there. Okay. Why is your role now important to the future of the oil and gas industry, Mark? Because in my heart of hearts and woven into our company culture is all of our beliefs that we're here to educate our world on the value of hydrocarbons, not politics, not emotions, facts, facts and figures. And there's other people out there doing it. For a little while, Paige, it felt like we were the only one that was doing it, literally yeah. the only one. Uh-huh. And it's I'm very proud of there's other podcasters, there's other bloggers, there's other YouTubers out there also sharing the real message of the value of hydrocarbons to the world. But I think if I get, you know, if I get remembered for anything, that would be the one I want to be remembered is I help educate the world on the value of hydrocarbons. Very good. Very good. I'm so glad I get to ask you this question. But what are your thoughts on telling someone about this industry that doesn't understand this industry? Ooh. So, and I know I'm going to get hate mail for this. After a certain age, it is a waste of my time. If they don't like the oil and gas industry, it is a waste of my time to have a conversation with them. And that hurts me. I'm the type of person that really likes to explain things. And I can explain things at a very basic level. And I can go deep into physics and organic chemistry, however you want to have that conversation. But to have people that won't listen to me, regardless of the facts that I bring up that hate this industry, drives me absolutely crazy. And now at 58 years old, I finally learned that it's probably a waste of my time trying to get them to change their minds. It's the younger generation that are still questioning things Yeah, that we can make a difference. Look at our shows. Look at how many young people write in saying, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. This was great. Look how many students we have. That, I think, is where the conversations need to be had. And then what do you say to the people? Because there's, you know, there's a lot of young people out there. There's a lot of educated young people out there that think that the oil and gas industry is destroying the planet. And it's literally, they just don't understand the very basics. Where do hydrocarbons come from? Are hydrocarbons net zero? Yes, they are. You know what? I ran across something the other day, which is driving me insane. And I love Porsche. Porsche spent a lot of money to design and build or to do research and development and then design and build a facility to produce non-hydrocarbon fuels for their internal combustion engines. What Porsche thinks is going to happen in the future is that eventually all vehicles will be electric, all theirs will be electric, but Porsche is such a collectible automobile and has such a fan base that they still have their internal combustion engines and they're going to need something to run on. And Porsche thinks that in the future, hydrocarbons will be gone and there'll be nothing to run these cars on. So they built this facility. It's actually in the Andes. And they're using solar energy to capture carbon dioxide and water out of the air and make a non-hydrocarbon gasoline. The reason it drives me crazy is that it's exactly how hydrocarbons are formed naturally. (laughs) It's single-cell plants that use sunlight that pulls water and carbon dioxide out of the air to make hydrocarbons, which we refine in gasoline. That's how crazy this world has gotten. And these guys that have done it, and they've done it successfully, and it's way more expensive than hydrocarbon gasoline, but still, these are engineers. These are some of the smartest people on the planet that figured out how to replicate this and make 
gasoline for the future Porsches that people collect that have an internal combustion engine because they think hydrocarbons could disappear. If that is not the most hypocritical oxymoron <laughs> thing you can imagine, they reinvented the natural wheel and they don't know better. Aww. If somebody would spend five minutes with them and go, do you know hydrocarbons are made in nature? It's the same process. They would be dumbfounded. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and stupid all at the I, same I, time. I, I, that's the world we live in, right? I know. I know. So do you, you have a favorite podcast that is not oil and gas? Heck yeah. <laughs> well, I would suspect that someone that owns a company full of podcasts would probably listen to a couple. I listen to Actually, the funny thing is only listen to a couple of our shows religiously. Yours is one of them. The rest of our shows are spot listening because we're so busy. There's no way. Advanced sales and marketing. I oh, love those yeah. guys, right? And then marketing over coffee. Both, I've been listening to those two shows for years. Once again, I give James Hahn credit for marketing over coffee. That's what how All Gas This Week was originally put together, the format. And we know those guys, right? We've met them. One and, of us and, has been on Oil and yeah. Gas This Week. So. Yeah. So big what, fans. Chris? Yeah, Chris. Yeah, big fans of both those shows, Advanced Selling Podcast and Marketing Over Coffee. There's several others that I listen to. One of the things I'm slightly disappointed in is – not that long ago, there were about 150 different oil and gas podcasts out there, which was great. Yeah. Right? I see all of this as family, not as competition. Right. And Paige, it's dwindled down. There's not as many of them as there were. Well, and I think it's what you and I have figured out is that this is like, this has to be a priority or it's not, it's going to fail. Right. If you're not constantly putting out episodes, you'll lose the passion for it and just get, it, it'll die. That's it. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. So all podcasts are like that. If you look at the numbers, most podcasts end about the seventh episode, to your point, because there's life gets in the way. Some kid gets sick, work yeah. gets busy, whatever. I always tell new podcasters that the first thing you need to do is monetize immediately, not so that you have the money, but now you're contractually committed to putting out episodes, which makes you get past that seventh danger episode, right? Yeah. Which makes you get to episode 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. And once you've done it long enough, especially if you have some money to pay for things like editing, it becomes easier and easier to do. Well, I tell you what, when I first started, I had to edit my own show. And that was painful for me because I can't stand to listen to my own voice. You have a great voice. Well, thank you. But I don't want to listen to it because it's mine, I guess. I don't know. But- just it is so much easier to do this now that we have editors. Yeah. So. And the quality of our shows are yes. much, much better. It's one of the things that makes me proud is for a very long time, we've gotten compliments on the content that we produce. Lately, we've been getting compliments on the quality of our audio, which just makes me happy. And that's not you and I. That's our team doing that. Yeah, exactly. Yay. Thanks, Emin. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Mark. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about ModalPoint and OGGN, how might they go about doing so? Just look me up, look me up on LinkedIn. You can Google Mark LaCour. I am not the pastor or the go-kart racer. Yeah, right? in one of them in jail or something? <laughs> and I'm not the guy in jail. <laughs> I'm the other one. But yeah, I'm easy to find online. LinkedIn is the best place to connect with me. He loves LinkedIn. I do love LinkedIn. <laughs> All right. Well, this concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. <laughs>